0: Good to be here this morning for Sunday school. We finished up our study last week on uh, looking at counterfeits. And so this morning I wanted us to, uh, we're going to look at something different. We're, but it's it's more or less we're looking at someone who demonstrated behavior that is definitely not counterfeit behavior. And, and I think we can learn from that. Uh, if you got your Bibles, turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings 4. This is a fairly familiar passage, I think. Um, there's a cast of characters here, and we're going to look at one that maybe we don't always look at maybe, when we read this particular passage. But let's, let's pray before we start. Father, thank you for allowing us to be in your house this morning. It's a beautiful day. We thank you for that. We thank you for the weather, the cooler temperatures you've given us in the last few days. Thank you, Lord, for that beautiful sunshine. We had a beautiful moon a couple of nights ago. It's just—it's a a pretty time of year, and we thank you for it. We thank you for giving us the health and the strength to be in your house today, giving us a desire to be here. We ask, Lord, that you continue to give us a a desire to to understand your Word, to see what uh, it teaches us. We want to be better servants for you, Father. And We pray this morning as we... Enter into this service, and then the one at eleven o'clock, and then uh, this afternoon service at five. We just pray that the Holy Spirit would be near to us, and that He would uh, teach us the things that we need to see in Your Word. That You'd equip us, Father, to be more effective servants for You. And we just uh, ask that You bless this time. Now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I'm going to read. I'm going to start reading in verse eight of Second uh, Kings uh, four. And this is about, uh, the typical title is something about the Shunammite woman, the Shunammite's woman's son, or something of that effect. But reading in verse 8, it says, and it fell on a day, I like that, it's kind of like a once upon a time, was a day in the life of Elisha, this happened, it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where there was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed, and a table, and a stool, and a candlestick. And it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. And it fell on a day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber, and lay there, and he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him, and he said unto, and she, he said unto him, that is, uh, Elisha said to Gehazi, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care, what is to be done for thee? Wouldst thou be spoken for to the king, or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among mine own people. Now it's here, it, it seems to be a very formal uh, kind of relationship here Elisha is talking to his servant who then talks to the, engages the Shunammite woman and there's no explanation as to why that is I, I don't know if maybe uh, Elisha was well known and the lady didn't want to speak directly to him uh, just like uh, I'll, I'll, I'd rather talk to your servant sir instead of you or something like that we're not sure but Gehazi is kind of a go between at this point and um, she says I dwell among mine own people Verse 14, and he said, What then is to be done for her? This is after apparently after she's gone, Elisha and Gehazi are, are just having a little conversation. Elisha says, What then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Verily she hath no child, and her husband is old. And he said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door. And, and that kind of would almost lead to even more to that, I don't want to be in the presence of, I don't want to get too close to Elisha. He's, he's big and, and I'm, I'm not that important. I'll just stand here at the door to what is it that you need, sir. Um, verse 16, and he said, About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, Nay, my lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. And the woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life. And when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his father, to the reapers. And he said unto his father, My head, my head. And he said to a lad, Carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. And she called unto her husband and said, Send me... I pray the, uh, one of the young men and one of the asses that I may run to the man of God and come again. And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It's neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It shall be well. Uh, that It shall be well. That is uh, the, the Hebrew term shalom. And she said, Peace. Everything's okay. And it's interesting, isn't it? She's just lost her son. And so uh, verse 24, Then she and Asked and said to her servant, Drive and go forward, slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. So she went and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to Gehazi his servant, Behold, yonder's that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her, and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Again, that same term. Uh, run to her and say, Shalom, I- is it peace? And is, is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. That same word, shalom, peace. And when she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came there to thrust her away, and the man of God said, Let her alone. For her soul is vexed within her, and the Lord hath hid it from me, and hath not told me. Then she said, Did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, Gird up thy loins and take my staff in thine hand and go thy way. If thou meet any man, salute him not. And if any salute thee, answer him not again and lay my staff upon the face of the child. So here, apparently at this point, Elisha has realized her son's died. Take my staff, go to him, don't stop. Don't talk to to anybody, go now. Okay. Verse 30, the mother of the child said, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. And Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff upon the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore he went again to meet him, and told him, saying, The child is not awaked. And when Elisha was come into the house, behold, the child was dead, and laid upon his bed. He went in therefore, and shut the door upon them twain, and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and lay upon the child, and put his mouth upon his mouth, and his eyes upon his eyes. And his hands upon his hands, and he stretched himself upon the child, and the flesh flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned, and walked in the house to and fro, and went up, and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi, and said, Call the Shunammite. So he called her, and when she was come in unto him, he said, Take up thy son. Then she went in, and fell at his feet, and bowed herself to the ground, and took up her son, and went out. So we've got, it's just a a series of of events in the life of this Shunammite woman. We're not told who she is. We don't know what her name is. I'm not aware of any place in Scripture where we're told who she is, and maybe that's good, because it it could be anyone that this happened to. And and what we're going to take a look at, there's a, a large cast, a fairly large cast of characters. You've got Elisha, you've got his servant Gehazi, you've got the Shunammite woman, you've got her husband, you've got a lad who uh, the father, when he was out in the field working, and, and his head started to hurt. There's, there's one lad that we referred to that his father said take him to his mother. So there's one servant at least. And then when uh, after the little boy died, she called to her husband and said, send me one of the lads, send me someone else to, to saddle up a donkey so we can go. I need to go to see the, the man of Elisha. So you've got a, at least one servant. It, it would seem maybe two so you've got a lot of people in, the, in this passage that we could be looking at, and it's one of those passages that if we looked at, at the events from a different perspective, if we looked at the perspective of Elisha, then we, would, we could see certain things. If we looked from the perspective of Gehazi, we would see other things, and so on and so forth. But I want us to take a look at the Shunammite woman herself, because she's referred to as a great woman in verse 8. And that term, uh, great, it can mean it can have a, a, a several shades of meaning in the Hebrew language. One is it could mean just elderly. I'm not sure that she was elderly. Uh, it doesn't say that there's anything uh, magical or any not magical that's a wrong term anything unusual about her being able to have a child. But Gehazi did say her husband is old. So apparently you you get the impression that maybe her husband was old enough that you wouldn't expect there to be a child from him. But maybe she's not that old. So I think maybe elderly is not the, the, the appropriate definition of this word. Uh, it can also mean, that word great, it can mean wealthy. It can mean noble. And I think as we look through the, um, the passage, it would seem that they, f- they must be fairly well off, or at least somewhat well off. Uh, they've, they've got fields, they've got servants, they've got a house, they've got the means as we read through the passage, to, to provide for the, the prophet as he comes by. Often, anytime you're coming by, just stop in and get a bite to eat. And then uh, we see that she talked her husband into, let's, let's build him a, a chamber. And it says uh, a chamber, we'll talk about that a little later, a place where he could just have a room for himself, where he could get alone, and I presume large enough for his servant Gehazi to be there with him. And so it, it would seem that they probably are somewhat uh, well off, maybe better than some of the other people around them. That term "great" can also have the the idea of a good reputation, and I think maybe that is the the approach that uh, what we're trying to see here. This great woman, she's a woman of great reputation, but I think, in light of what we've been studying the last few weeks, she's just the opposite of a counterfeit. I think we could add that term "great" could also have the idea of genuine. This is a genuine believer in God, and she wants to serve the Lord. And we see her doing that by serving this man of God, because that's, that's, that's her visible way to, to serve the Lord, to serve someone else. And that, that's, we know that to be the case. If we want to serve the Lord, uh, we serve other people, don't we? We, we, do, we find what we can do for them. Now, just a little bit of background. This town of Shunem, it was about three miles north of Jezreel. And I'm not sure if you remember a lot about Jezreel. That was the city where a lot of the, uh, the northern kings, the kings of the northern uh, kingdom of Israel lived. It was a very wicked place. This was the, the hometown of, of Ahab and Jezebel. And we, we, those names ring a bell to us, don't they? The very wickedness. Uh, were, the town was known for its idolatry, for its corruption. And she lives very close, within three miles of that, but she's just the opposite of that. That's what we see in her, in her character as we look at it. And so the, the text points out, I think, several areas of why she would be referred to as a great woman. And that's kind of what I want us to look at because we can learn from that, uh, how to, how to in- exemplify that same level of greatness as Christians, as servants of the Lord. And because they apply equally well, I think, to men or women. We, we can all learn from it. So I want us to look at a list of things, if we could, that, that help point out the greatness of this woman. The first one we'll look at uh, is sort of, most of them are in sequence. The first one is is out of sequence. In verse 23, we see her religious practices. Because uh, when when her son had died... She went out in verse 23, and she asked her her husband, or actually in verse 22, she called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses that I may run to the man of God and come again. Look at her husband's response in verse 23. He said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It's neither new moon nor Sabbath. That what we see there is uh, we know that in the uh, is Israeli culture of that day, or the old Hebrew culture, new moons were times um, in the Jewish calendar when there would be festivals, there would be feasts, there would be things that were associated with the Jewish religion. The same thing with the Sabbath. Uh, that was a day that was set apart for worship. And that would have been the day that her husband would have expected, okay, if you want to go see the man of God about something, wouldn't you do that on a new moon or one of the feast days or one of the Sabbath days? But this is just a regular day of the week. Why, why do you need to go to see him? And we can see that there's a question in, in her husband's mind, but, beyond, but behind that question is the, uh, the fact that she uh, seemed to have a very strict adherence to those feast days, those special days, those Sabbath days. And so we see that uh, her religious practices point out that she was a godly woman. She wanted to serve the Lord when her religion prescribed that she would serve the Lord. So the, the lesson for us, if we want to have that, that greatness, if you will, we need to imitate her dedication to worship, don't we, as Christians? That's why we're here. That's part of the reason we're here. But also, not just to her um, her practices of worship, but her, her um, desire to serve. Uh, that we see also in the other verses. We need to, to imitate that, don't we? If we want to be able to uh, now none of us are going through life saying I want somebody to say I'm great. That's not our purpose. Our purpose is to serve the Lord. But we have that greatness or those characteristics of that when we follow our our our, our worship and our service of the Lord, our religious practices, if you will. A second thing we see about her uh, that, that helps to make uh, her great or to demonstrate her greatness as a servant of God is her hospitality. And uh, along with that hospitality, some persuasive powers that she seemed to have. Look at verse 8. It says, And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where it was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. Now, this is, this is we, we look at it and say, Well, she was a hospitable lady. But it's a little more than just being hospitable. The servant of God is coming by. Elisha and his servant are walking down the road, apparently. And she sees them, and she says, Guys, come in come and in, get something to eat. It's a, it's a hot day. It's a, you look like you've been traveling a ways. And if she knew who she was... Now, um, history uh, or the geography tells us that the, the hometown of Elisha, I think, was something like 20 miles south of where she lived here in Shunem. Mount Carmel, where Elisha apparently spent a great deal of time ministering, was about 20 to 25 miles north. That's a pretty good trip on foot, isn't it? 50 miles thereabouts. 45, 50 miles. And so you can tell if somebody's been walking away, as you can tell they look a little tired. So she, she tells them, come in. Let's get something to eat. Let's, let's get some refreshing. But it says, not, not only was it an invitation, it says she constrained him to eat bread. She insisted. Um, God had given her enough discernment to recognize this prophet is coming by, his servant's coming by, and they need something. And I have what they need. They need refreshment. They need water. Maybe they need a place to rest, sit out for a while. Maybe they, they need a meal. They look kind of haggard, so let's get them in here and get them something to eat. So the, the Lord had given her a discernment to recognize that need. And then he had given her beyond the discernment to recognize it. She'd given them, uh, the Lord had given her a desire to meet that need. She looks around, and says, "I've got something." He's got a need. It's clear. I've got what he needs. I've got the means to to provide for that need. So I'm going to do it. The Lord puts that in people's hearts, doesn't He? And that's and, and we should pray that He would put that heart that desire in our hearts because the Scripture teaches us as Christians that we ought to be hospitable too. That's that's part of serving the Lord. And so she insisted. That Elisha not go without. Look, and, and you can almost imagine, you can almost hear, no, no, man, we don't want to put you out. We'll, we'll just be on our way. Just a drink of water, please. No, 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 no. You've met people like that, haven't you? No, you're not going anywhere. Come in here and sit down. I'll uh, we'll, uh, fry up some chicken. We'll get some biscuits going. And we've all met people like that. And we love going to their houses sometimes, don't we? I mean, especially if you're a kid, if you're a young boy, and then these ladies constrain you. Uh, to come in and force you to eat some pie. We went. Uh, I went visiting one time. It was it was Dale and I went uh, visiting a lady in Ossipee and uh, Miss Pickard. She's a godly little lady. She she couldn't always come to church, but she was she she loved the Lord. And we went to visit her one day. And she said, "I just made a pie. Would y'all like some?" We said, "Sure." That lady brought each of us a fourth of a pie on a saucer. I'd never seen a piece of pie that big. And I'm like, oh yeah, we'll go see Miss Pickard, not you you know? And but this that's the picture you get here. She's hospitable and she's persuasive. Now they could have said, No man, we we don't want to put you out. You're not putting me out at all. Come on in here and sit down and have this. Now we don't have a license as Christians. I mean, there's a lesson to be learned here. We don't have a license to force people. You know, we're not gonna you know Bruno, hold him down. I'm going to force these chitlins down his throat, whether he likes them or not. We don't have that kind of a, a license, do we? But we ought to be sensitive when the Lord brings somebody across our path to recognize there's a need there. And then we ought to exercise our powers of persuasion, if need be, to say, look, let me help, let me meet this need if I can. What is it you need? And let us help you meet that as, as God's people. That's lessons that we can learn, isn't it? And that's a lesson that we learned from this woman's greatness. It's her hospitality and her persuasive power. Now, third thing that I think we can learn from her is her perception. Look in verse 9. And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Apparently, Elisha and Gehazi must have come by here quite frequently. And something about his manner, maybe the way he spoke, maybe the way he blessed the food when she constrained him to come in and have a meal. I'm not sure what it was, but she... She perceived that this is a holy man of God which passeth by us continually. That indicates that she had paid attention to Elisha when he came by. You ever meet people that don't seem to pay attention? You ever have a conversation with someone in a in a group of people and you have a conversation and they're looking, they're scanning the room to see who else they can go talk to? Isn't that frustrating? <laughs> And when they come up, oftentimes that person will come up and strike up a conversation with you, and then it's clear they don't want to talk to you. They're just looking to see who else they can go. Well, that's not who this woman was. She perceived. She paid attention to Elisha, the a, a person, a man that the Lord had brought across her path, and she said, her, "There's something special about this man. He he walks with God, and so we need to we need to help meet his needs because he probably don't get. There's probably not a lot of people that." Uh, that are favorable to him. Now, Elisha, we know he was the the protege of Elijah, and we know that Elijah had a problem just a few years earlier. We talked about that yesterday uh, a little bit, um, Kevin did, that you know, Those the prophets of Baal that were against Elijah, uh, the king was against Elijah because he said it's not going to rain for three and a half years, and it didn't. There were a lot of enemies. Well, all of the prophets in Israel during this period of time had problems because people were ungodly. They were worshiping false gods and and, and that sort of thing. So she she recognizes, I I suppose, that this is a man, uh, truly a man of God. We need to pay attention to him. We need to help meet his needs because there's not that many people around doing it anymore. And so she paid attention to him, but that also tells us something else. It means that because she was paying attention to Elijah, Elisha and Gehazi, she wasn't paying so much attention to herself. It's easy if, uh, to to be preoccupied Preoccupied with us, isn't it? That This world breeds that sort of um, self-interest. Um, and it's not very pretty, is it? She wasn't too busy with her life to notice that Elisha was coming by to notice that his demeanor maybe his disposition uh, the words he spoke the way he spoke them that she wasn't too busy to notice his dedication to the Lord and that's a good trait for anyone to have isn't it and so she wasn't that, that self-centered person Now the, the lesson for us is that we are not and we know this we all know this we are not called to be the center of our own universe are we the Lord doesn't call you and say okay now I've saved you and I'm I'm going to put you on this little pedestal and you're going to spin around like a little ballerina in a music box and everybody's going to look at you and you're going to be special. That's not what the Lord says, is it? He says I want, you to, I want you to serve people. The 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 one who's going to be the greatest among you is the one who will be the least among you, who will serve others. And this woman I think had a she'd never read those verses by the by the way, obviously she lived centuries before the New Testament was penned. And yet she understood that, that it was, we need, or I need, to be serving this man of God. So this, this idea of people um, thinking that they're the center of their own universe, that we call that humanism, and it's all around us, isn't it? And it's ugly, and it's even uglier when it finds its way into a church, because we've probably all seen uh, even people in a church setting who seem that the world revolved around them around whatever it was they wanted, or around whatever it was they thought they needed, or uh, some it could even be the world revolves around my particular illness, or my particular surgery, or what. It can be any of those things. But if we allow uh, that attitude that comes in that says, I'm the most important person, then we lose sight of all these other people out here that the Lord wants us to serve. And that, that's ugly business, and it's anything but... Calling, uh, recalling the greatness of this uh, Shunammite woman's example, isn't it? So we need to cultivate that ability to be able to look beyond ourselves, to look beyond what we're engaged in at any given time, and look at the needs of other people, just like this uh, Shunammite woman did. A fourth thing, uh, how she demonstrated her greatness that we see here is in verse 10. She said there in verse 10, Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee. She's talking to her husband. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall. And let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. She wasn't satisfied at this point with just providing meals for Elisha. She said, This guy's tired every time he comes in here. I've noticed this. I've noticed that he, he's just He's just weary. And his servant maybe is younger than he is, a little more spry. So he, he I don't notice it as much with him, but Elisha, something's bothering him. It's like it's like his ministry's weighing on him. He's tired. It's a long way from where he came from to where he's going. So it's not just enough to have him come in here and, and sit in our family room. Let's let's make a special room for him. And her husband goes along with it. And that, that's to his credit, isn't it? And it says they put it, uh, her thing was, let's pray, I pray thee, or let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall. Uh, some scholars, commentators say that it, it would appear that that was actually on the rooftop, uh, attached to the rooftop, because in that culture, it would be cooler up there. You get more of a breeze, and it was a, a very coveted position. And so she's saying, let's build him not just, not just a little shack, we're not going to just put a tent out back we're not just going to build a lean-to shed on the side of the house we're going to build them something good let's it's nice now there wasn't uh there wasn't what we might call lush um, furnishings she said we'll make a little chamber now if they were wealthy a little chamber might have been bigger than the house we live in we don't know but still she said let's build them something a little um and we'll, put a, we'll give him a bed, we'll give him a table, a stool, a pistol stick. Just the, the basic necessities, but it'll be a place that he can go and relax. And our family won't be bothering him. And uh, we want our coming and going, the servants, if they get an argument, whatever, he'll be separated. And so I think this is really good. It's very, uh, it's very generous of her, isn't it? So she wasn't just satisfied with meeting, uh, providing food for him. She said, let's get him a, let's get him a room. Um, again, uh, it given privacy, it was a sacrificial gift because they could have built that room for themselves if it was really a, a special place where it would be cooler, it would be more private, all of that. So she sacrificed. She was willing to sacrifice that. She recognized, I think, we can see here, that that man of God might need a place of privacy. He might need a place where he could get alone even with his servant and say, let's pray about the needs. You know, those... We're going up to Mount Carmel or we've just came back from Mount Carmel and we met some people there that had some serious needs. Let's pray about that. And so he's got a place where he can do that at this point. He's got a place where he can rest a little bit. He can, he can, uh, if he's got the scrolls, any of the Old Testament scrolls with him, the Psalms or the Pentateuch or any of those Old Testament books, maybe he can sit aside and just have a chance to read and meditate on the Word of God, the things that a prophet would need. Maybe he... He needed a place where he could just be alone with God, because God gave Elisha messages, as he did the other prophets. And so she saw this need, and she said, "Let's let's 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 make this happen." That's her generosity. The lesson we learn, we need to learn there. We need to be generous uh, to servants of God, don't we? That's why we we take up mission uh, or offerings for missionaries, and we support them. That's why uh, there may be other. Uh, ministries that you hear of from time to time and you say hey, I'm going to support that because they need they need the support it could be uh, a, a broadcast company a radio station it could be a ministry in a different state but whatever it happens to be we need to learn to recognize the needs that God puts on our hearts and then support those needs just like she did I think it's a, it's a perfect example because God does call us uh, as we've seen so far He calls us to worship and to regularly attend to those uh, worship practices. He calls us to to be hospitable, to have that level of perception, to recognize needs. And he calls us uh, to be generous when he does bring someone with that need in front of us. So there's a fifth thing that I I think we can see this woman's uh, greatness uh, demonstrated by her satisfaction with what she had. Not only was she generous, but she was satisfied with what she had in life. She wasn't looking for something else. Because look in uh, verse 11. It says, And it fell on a day that he came thither. Uh, this is Elisha. Uh, and he turned into the chamber and lay there. So he's enjoying this, this nice room that she's provided. He's enjoying the hospitality. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call the Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said unto him, Now say unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. You've, you've shown us so much care, so much compassion, so much generosity. What's to be done for thee? What would you like us to do for you? Now, Elisha is an influential person at this point. A lot of people know him. And he said, uh, wouldst thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? In other words, would you like an audience with the king? Is there something you need? Is there somebody bothering you and your husband that we can take care of? I'll talk to the captain of the, of the, of the host, the army, uh, and general so-and-so. He'll, he'll take care of a problem if you have it. Or the king, if, if there's something you need. Someone been encroaching on your property? Whatever, I'll talk to them for you. And notice what her response is. I dwell among my own people. It's a very simple statement there. It seems to be uh, that that she puts it very simply. Uh, I'm satisfied with what I have here. I just dwell among my own people. I'm, I'm not looking for an audience with the king. I, I don't need that kind of fanfare. Uh, and she's saying... Um, I don't need military leaders doing me any kind of special favors. We, we live a simple life here. Um, Jezreel's a few miles away. They can keep all of that fanfare over there. We just, we just want to eat out a living here. So I don't need anything else. She's, isn't that amazing? When someone important comes along, this woman has shown him uh, kindness. She's shown compassion. She's shown this level of generosity. And there, would be, there are any number of people who would have said, if I do this for him, if I scratch his itch, he's going to scratch mine. And it's going to be good because he knows people. And she's like, I'm glad you know the king. I'm happy for you. I'm glad you know the captain of the host, but I, I don't need to know him. And I don't need anything else. I, I, we're fine. She didn't need all of this. She was satisfied with God's protection and his provisioning. In her life, that that's an amazing thing in and of itself, isn't it? Because we live in a in a country where people aren't very satisfied sometimes. They're constantly looking for some angle of what how can I go about something to get more than I have right now. Not this woman, or that's not what we see here. And wouldn't it wouldn't be wonderful if every Christian could share these kind of characteristics. And and when people said, "What can I do for you?" Well, I I don't, I don't need anything. I've met people like that in the past. People that you knew good and well, they needed something. They, were, they weren't rich. They weren't wealthy. And you ask them, what can I do for you? I don't, I don't need anything. And have, have any of you called Brother Paul lately and said, Brother, what do you need? What's his response? I'm, I don't need anything. I'm okay. Every time I ask, uh, I don't need anything. I'm doing fine. And there's, there's so many folks that way. It would be nice if we could all... Uh, incorporate that in our lives wouldn't it uh, her response was simply his question can I get you anything and her response was nope I want anything I'm fine very simple and to the point isn't it Philippians uh, 4 verse 1 Paul captured that same idea when he said I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content contentment is an, is an amazing thing isn't it the old saying godliness with contentment is great gain we need to live by that, by those words, don't we? And, and so this lady did. She was, she was very satisfied with, with, with what the Lord had given to her. A sixth thing that we see that helps to demonstrate uh, this woman's greatness is her self control. Look in verse, uh, let's we'll start reading in verse 18 again. Uh, the, she, she had said, I don't need anything. Elisha and Gehazi had a conversation. And Gehazi said she might want a child because they don't have any children. Her husband's old, so it's not likely they're going to get any. So Elisha prayed about that, no doubt. He told her, you're going to have a child. Well, that should have made her happy, but she seemed a little unbelieving. No, that's not going to happen. I, I'm sorry, don't lie to me. Don't, 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 don't try to make me feel good. I told you I didn't need anything. And he said, no, I'm serious. When the, when the time is right, you're going to have a child and so she did. And then uh, in verse 18, And when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his father to the reapers. So apparently it's harvest time. You can imagine uh, in harvest time around here at least, it's, it's warm weather, isn't it? It's usually dry weather. It's hot weather a good portion of the time. So verse 19, And he said to his father, My head, my head, uh, and he said to a lad, carry him to his mother. Something's wrong with the little boy at this point. Maybe it's a heat stroke. We don't know. The people have speculated what it might have been. Verse 20, and when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. Uh, and it's an amazing amount of self-control here. It's incredible. She simply, her, her son was brought to her, this son that she thought she'd never have. And he sits there and it's clearly something wrong with him. She doesn't know what to do about it. He sits there for a while and then he dies. And just imagine the composure it took for this lady to simply carry her baby to the prophet's chamber. She laid him on Elisha's bed and she went out and closed the door. No, we don't see anything about weeping, wailing. There's no anger toward God. If there was, it's not recorded here. And and God is really good in his word about recording the good and the bad, isn't he? and so there's no anger toward him there's no rage at uh, her personal loss just a, just a very simple sequence of events my son's dead I'm going to take him, I'm going to put him on Elisha's bed I'm going to close the door and she's got this plan, I'm going to go see Elisha because I believe he can fix this problem and so uh, just a very simple sequence of events so why? Why do you think she could be that calm? Do you think it was a state of shock? I don't think so, because right after this, we're going to see that she had a plan. She knew what she was going to do. She wasn't in shock. She just simply was going to follow through because she was going to entrust this problem to her God. But that's who this woman was. And so she wanted to go see Elisha about it. The lesson that we can learn from this, I think, is that bad things can happen to God's people. We've all seen that, haven't we? We've, we've experienced it. Uh, uh, some far more than others. But when the trouble comes, when uh, we've referred to it, uh, we've seen it referred to in the last couple or three weeks in Scripture as the storms that hit us from time to time, right? They can hit us, but when they do, they are, um, they're never outside of God's plan. And they're never outside of His consent. That's what we need to understand. Uh, he, not only does he plan for these things to come through to us, these problems, but he consents for them to happen to us because we're his children. And nothing can touch us if it doesn't come through him first. And I think maybe this lady had a, 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 a sense of that. And we honor the Lord most when these problems come if we simply turn them over to him. And that's what we're going to see her doing because she's, this is a problem. This is a serious problem to this lady. She's lost her only child at this point and so all of this happens and we, we learn most when we decide to turn it over to the Lord and uh, you might say in the way of passing the Holy Spirit will give us the ability to remain calm in, in times like that doesn't he he doesn't leave us to ourselves and we can we can see it through this and we can um, turn things over to the Lord when everything seems to us to have gone completely haywire and so that's a, an example we see of this godly woman. Another um, evidence of her, uh, her greatness is her earnestness. Look in uh, verse 22. We'll look there. It says, And she called her unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of God and come again. And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It's neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It shall be well. Then she saddled an ass and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. She says, um, when her husband asks, um, I'm sorry, getting ahead of myself a little bit. She she has said that she wants to run to see the man of God. She's asked her husband, send the man to me. You can saddle up one of the animals and we're going to run. We're going to go see the prophet Elisha. She doesn't tell her husband why. Notice. And and some have speculated that uh, she may have been afraid to tell her husband this is a this is an area of the world when harvest time is dry, it's hot, and maybe she feared if she told her husband that the little boy was dead that he might have immediately stopped everything, let's have a burial service. Because in that temperate uh, in, in that kind of climate you would not want a dead body laying in your bed in your house for very long. It, it sounds crude, but maybe that is what she was thinking. We don't know. Maybe she didn't want her husband to do anything rash until she had a chance to take this problem to Elisha. And so uh, she's, she's very earnest. She earnestly believed that uh, the man of God could help her. She had watched her son die, slowly perhaps, because he'd been sitting in her lap until, what did it say, noon, I believe. Um, she had felt the life drain out of his body. And apparently he was... Uh, still a very young child because she was able to pick him up and carry him and put him on the on the bed of Elisha. So this is a young child. She felt that life drain out of his body. She apparently didn't mention t- this to anybody. She didn't tell anyone. She just put the little boy in the... In the, in the bed, closed the door and, and tiptoed out. Almost as like he's, he's taking a nap. Elisha's going to fix this, right? Some people, uh, again, they speculate uh, different reasons why she may not have told anybody. But her first thought seems to have been, I want God's intervention in this problem. Before I start grieving, before I bring my <clears> husband <throat> into this, before I bring anyone in the, in the family or any of the neighbors into this, I want God's intervention first. So I want to go see Elisha. Because he's the one who saw to it that, uh, that I had this child. He's the one who gave me that promise. And so I'm going to run to him first. So, and, and, and I'm going to do it quickly, because she said she knows that, that she must know if her little boy is dead, time is of the essence. If there's anything Elisha's going to do, she's probably expecting it, it's got to be done soon. I've got to get to him now. All right, so the, what are the, le- the lessons that we learn from that? When, when calamity strikes... And whatever it happens to be, our first impulse should be to take it to the Lord, shouldn't it? Now, her impulse, um, and and the, the same impulse that other some other people will have is to take it to to the man of God, to take it to Elisha, to the prophet. To her, she needed that mediator to God because in, in this culture that you took things to the priest or you took things to the prophet to the man of God. We know as Christians we have direct access to to the Lord Jesus Himself in prayer. We go right into the throne room of God. But still, the, the the idea is that our first impulse should be to take our problems to the Lord, not anyone else. And, and so that's so hard to do sometimes, isn't it? We, we, something, something goes wrong and we start thinking, okay, how am I going to fix this? And the first thing we ought to do is take it to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't understand where the problem came from. I don't know how to fix the problem. I know you do. If it's something you want me to fix, could you show me how to? If it's something someone else can help me fix, could you show me the right person to go to? But we ought to always want to take it directly to the Lord, shouldn't we? And that's what, that's what she exemplified for us. Um, we would be better uh, better served in any instance like that to, to always seek out the one who never sleeps nor slumbers. The prophet could have been taking a nap somewhere. It had been a little groggy when she woke him up to tell him, God never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's always attentive to what we have. And he's always nearby. Always. We never, we never have to wonder, where is he? You remember uh, when Elijah was, was in the contest with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, and they were calling on, the, on Baal to, to bring fire and uh, take, consume the sacrifices. You remember Elijah's comments, well, maybe they're on a vacation. Maybe they're sleeping. Maybe Baal doesn't hear you. Shout a little bit louder. Well, look, we don't have to shout loud for the for the Lord, do we? Just a whisper of a prayer, and he's always ready uh, to hear it. So we've seen uh, so far, uh, This our time is about up for today, but we've seen things that demonstrate this, this woman's greatness. Uh, her religious practices, her hospitality, and that persuasive power that says, yeah, I want to help you, let me help you here. And by the way, that goes... It goes for us as well. If someone wants to show us hospitality, sometimes we need to let them. Even though it might hurt our pride. It might be, no, no, I don't need anything right now. Sometimes you let somebody help you, don't you? Because the Lord's put it on their heart. Um, her perception that she recognized that this was a man of God, that, that she had something she could do to help him. Her generosity to push that forward. Her satisfaction with what she already had. I don't need anything else. Um, the Lord's giving me what I need. So that satisfaction, her self-control when the problem hit, and that earnestness in her heart, knowing God can provide a need, He can He can help me in this situation. All of those help us and help to demonstrate the greatness of this woman. And I think there's all those are all lessons that we can learn. So maybe next week we'll we'll pick up there and and we'll move forward. Let's pray, Father. Thank you again for allowing us to study this passage of scripture. We can look at it, and we can look at the part that Elisha played. We can look at the part that Gehazi played. We can look at the part that uh, the Shunammite woman's husband played or the servants. Uh, but we're looking at the Shunammite woman herself and the, the, the fact that Scripture refers to her as a great woman. And we thank you, Lord, for the examples that we see here in these verses uh, of that true greatness, that greatness of a servant of God who has a heart to, uh, to serve you. By serving other people, the perception to recognize the needs of people around her, the the hospitality and the generosity to want to serve, and then Lord, you would certainly you'd put within her means and within her hands the means uh, to meet the need of, uh, of Elisha and perhaps others as well. So we thankful for the example that she gives to us, and we pray, Lord, that we might uh, try to incorporate uh, that example in our lives as well. Uh, again, thank you for allowing us to look into this word.